Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthasar. And today, welcome to the weekly recap, where we actually have a bit of recruiting news to talk about for the first time in about a month or so. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've had any recruiting stuff to talk about, like on any front, really. Yeah, so... Which uh, I know in some cases with basketball is causing some anxiety. Uh, I'm there, too. Uh. <laughs> I'm oddly fine. I truly am completely unbothered right now. I'm being patient with uh, Coach Tang and basketball recruiting. Yeah. I'm going to hit the panic button if we get to like the end of the semester without like a reasonable num- number of transfers in. But... I'm 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 holding off on like turning the key <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not freaking out, but I I won't lie. I'm a tiny bit anxious. But we're not here to talk about that. But after we get done with a little bit of recruiting news, we're going to talk about a transfer on the football realm, and then we're going to recap the Batcats. Three games very shortly because ouchies, and then yeah. one game which we just got back from. Not ouchies. Yeah. <laughs> but. Let's just dive straight in to football recruiting news where we got two commits in the span of one week. Yeah. And both are from Wichita, which if you know about the odyssey of Kansas State football in Wichita, you know it's good that we're getting people from the area. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a while since K-State has been able to reliably recruit in the Wichita area. It was a... It was definitely an area that um, the previous staff really struggled with. Towards the end of their tenure, they were able to get some players out of there, but it had been a few years since they'd gotten anyone out of anyone out of high school. Uh, the Brown brothers and Chris Harper were transfers from other schools that started in Wichita, and they were all high school five stars. But those are kind of an exception. Uh, Denzel Goolsby is another guy that comes to mind, but there's not many big stars that you can think of from the Wichita area in recent memory. But the staff has definitely made a very clear effort to change that. Last year, they uh, signed Tobios and Sanmi out of Wichita. And I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody right now as well. But uh, they did just sign two guys, or got commits from two guys, I should say. Uh, First, uh, from Will Ancio on April 10th. He's a 6'6", 220-pound tight end out of Cape and Mount Carmel in the area. And then Wesley Fair, who's listed as an athlete, but I'd project him as a safety or maybe kind of that nickelback spot that Stubby was playing this past season. Yeah, that hybrid. Yeah, but he is listed as an athlete because he plays quarterback uh, in high school. He's 6'2", 180. Uh, both of these guys are mid-level three stars. Uh, and Wesley was only... Of three days after Will Ancio, and it felt like a lot less because Will committed late at night, yeah. and Wesley was like <laughs> very first thing in the morning. Yeah, it was before I was awake for class, so I woke up and we just had a commitment, and I was a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to relay that to the coaching staff to only accept commitments when I'm awake in the future. Yeah, obviously, that's what we have mm-hmm. to focus on. But let's go a bit more in depth on these two recruits. Firstly, starting off with Will Ancio. As we mentioned, he's six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds. Right now, he is kind of a string bean. <laughs> he yeah. is, which 
you don't think of whenever you hear 220 pounds, you don't think of string bean. However, he is six foot six. Yeah. For, and I'm not saying that he's going to be this because if he becomes this, oh, <laughs> but he shares a at least starting frame with current current Iowa State draftee <laughs> Charlie Kolar, who was six foot six, I believe, like two thirty coming out of high school. Yeah, and. He turned into Charlie Kolar. And yeah. I'm not saying that Will Ancio will become that. I'll be happy if he does. But in terms of what Will Ancio brings right now, he brings pretty solid ball skills as a tight end prospect. In fact, he was flexed out a little bit at receiver, at least according to his highlights at Cape and Mount Carmel. But there are a few parts of his game that keep him from probably stepping on campus day one. And being a starter, most notably, he's probably not that much of an inline blocker, very similar to Charlie Kolar. Yeah. He needs to work on building that muscle, because although he can bully a lot of people at the high school level, he's going to have to work on that at the college level, which, you know, that's all just a part of filling out his frame, which I think Coach True can definitely do. Yeah, he has a great frame to work with. I'd imagine at full potential he'll be around 250. 260. Yeah, he could probably get up to 260. But yeah, I, I'd love to see him in like his uh, redshirt season add 20-ish pounds in the offseason. Have the night Matlick glow up. <clears throat> I would love that. And I think it's totally plausible as well because he he does have a good frame to work with. There's a lot to uh, there's there's a lot of places to put weight on. I think Mm -hmm. with him. But another thing that I really like about Wayancio is uh, there's this picture of him. He's actually visiting Iowa State in the picture, (laughs) but he just his arms are very long. God, yeah. At least from what uh, from what we can tell, I have no idea. He may have longer arms than Brent's. Yeah, Brent's has. Freakishly long arms. And Will Ancio. They call him the Condor for a yeah. reason. Yeah, but Will, at least like in that one image, at least it looked like he had long arms. And it looked like he did as well uh, receiving in the field. And he used that to his advantage. He didn't do much catching with his body. He was putting his arms out a lot, which is very promising uh, for a young prospect. Because not everybody comes out of high school. Uh, Knowing how to do that. <laughs> yeah, Tyler Lockett, he really didn't figure that out until he got to the NFL, honestly. <laughs> so he, he used his body to catch for a long time. But, well, Ancio, he already has, like you said, really great ball skills. And the long arms really will will only help him with that in uh, contested catch situations, which he also uh, seemed to excel at uh, at the high school level. Um, I liked uh, his route running was for a high school tight end, I felt. At, at minimum, fine. it was fine. It was passable. Fine. Like I, I didn't expect, you know, a miracle worker. I didn't respect a receiver. <laughs> it, it was more. I think he had a really good sense of field awareness and where he was on the field, which is at the high school level, honestly, more important. I think than route running. Like yes. unless you're going against some phenomenal. Unless team. you're going up against five star DBs. Yeah. Then yeah. Like, and and in the high school level again, he can just kind of body those people. But regardless, he still demonstrates receiver skills again he's not the best blocker and honestly that's to work on long speed yeah Yeah, that is true he he does reach uh top speed fairly quickly but he isn't the fastest guy in the world that's for sure he he probably could honestly gain some speed just through work uh and strength and conditioning uh just needs to be trained on like how 
to run faster pretty yeah. much i just work on his form honestly which is it's a simple thing yeah like might get a little bit extra juice out of him and then um he he also moves pretty well for being 6'6 220 i felt like in space he's a decent mover um like in just in terms of his general agility and he, he doesn't walk he doesn't walk and move around defenders like he's a giraffe that just doesn't know where his foot's gonna land yeah he knows where he's going and he goes there which is nice and i would say that he might be the best high school tight end prospect that the staff has signed with maybe the exception of garrett oakley who i really like but even then i might put ansial above just because I think he's closer to his final size because Garrett Oakley is not even 200 pounds nope. right now. And he's about to be on campus in a few months. So Anciao being closer to what his desired weight will be probably moves him up a bit in terms of development. And also being such an early commit, he can get to work on strength as well. Yep. So Will Anciao is a nice, solid commit for the Cats. We have another one to talk about, and that is Wesley Fair, who we said before projects as a safety. And if I were to give you a comparison right now, I would say a slightly more fluid TJ Smith. And mm-hmm. for those of you who are having Vietnam flashbacks to him getting toasted by Romeo Dubs in the Nevada game, I assure you, that's not 100% normal. TJ actually was pretty decently consistent in his coverage. It's just that he had a couple moments of weakness with his lateral quickness, which is an area that Wesley, at least from what we've seen, is not going to have as much of an issue with. But if there's one thing, if there's one word that I can describe his game with, it is hitter. He smacks people. And I'm not saying that he smacks people as hard as TJ, but it's kind of similar in both that they really are looking for the big hits and mm-hmm. may or may not be completely unconcerned with wrapping up. Yeah, which works when the guy falls, but it's definitely unfortunate when they just bounce off and continue running. Uh, Wesley Fair, he is, he has. it's funny that he has a very similar game to TJ Smith because in terms of build, they probably couldn't be more different because yeah. <laughs> TJ is a very compact safety. He's 5'10 on a good day, and uh, he's, he's very well built. He's very compact. And it's like throwing like a bowling ball at someone, kind of, except he's yeah. he's not round. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley Fair is a very long athlete. He has long arms. Uh, he takes long strides. He doesn't have elite top-end speed or anything like that, but he does have decent enough speed. He's probably not going to lose too many battles just on the basis of not being fast enough. And even then, he's a safety and may even be able to play a bit in the box if we need him to. I think he could grow into that if that's what we end up needing. Kind of just get into the the uh, one of the, some of the bigger packages that we have. But he also could maybe even be a person that can play up and down uh, in safety and linebacker. But I like Wesley Fair. Um, he I mean to, to display his athleticism. Uh, he also plays quarterback and. Mm-hmm. Like, the first six of his highlights are long touchdown runs where he just evades a lot of people. <laughs> just jet counter. Yeah. Yeah. Simple stuff. And he probably evades two to three people all, all on his own. Uh, he's he's a very fluid athlete for somebody of his age. Um, surprisingly fluid, I would say. He Again, he doesn't have top-end speed, but he has an impressive 
twitch and agility, I would say. He's another person that accelerates to top speed really quickly, which is something that the staff values over top end speed, I would say. Unless Although, you're Darrell Jones. Yeah, unless you're Darrell Jones, which, again, he still has incredible burst. Yeah. It's just that he has never played corner before. <laughs> yeah, which... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll trust the staff to develop. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I really like Wesley Fair in terms of his athleticism. Uh, it's tough to get a read on his coverage at the high school level. Especially just from highlights. Yeah, uh, highlights is tough because, I mean, one of them... Is an interception where both receivers that would have been the area trip on each other and fall. And he pretty much, it's effectively him returning a punt. Yep. <laughs> and the arm punt. He did catch the ball though. So, but he did also have a few legitimately nice uh, pass deflections where he dives and times it perfectly and knocks it away. Yeah. And that was legitimately impressive. So, I mean, again, it's highlights, so we don't get the full picture. Uh, but I do like him in space. He does need to learn to wrap up. Which, again, honestly, that's a lot of uh, defenders nowadays in the secondary. With tackling drills becoming less and less popular uh, to do in practice, especially at the collegiate level and up, uh, just to avoid injuries, uh, it's tough to get a read on how good he could be at tackling. But tackling is a very teachable skill. It's tackling. It's it's very simple. Like I hate to be that guy, but it really is not like... The most complex. It's not the most complex thing in the world. No, but I I am a fan of Wesley Fair. I'm a really big fan of this class so far as a whole. Not just because it's all Kansas kids. That's cool. But I don't care as long as they're good. (laughs) But Kansas kids is an added bonus, especially Wichita kids, because that's an area that we're finally making inroads into again, and hopefully it will bear fruit later on in this class. But Wesley. Again, if I could narrow it down to a few superlatives, a fluid athlete uh, with good potential while also already being athletically mature. Um, He's not going to have to grow too much, I think, to get on the field at K-State early. While he doesn't perfectly match this guy's style of play, his path to the field might be pretty similar to Marvin Martin's Mm -hmm. where he will just get some spot snaps later in the season in his true freshman season, just to gain some, some in-game experience and uh, just by virtue of coming on campus and probably being a little bit ahead of uh, whoever else we sign a safety out of his class, unless we go out and get like some four stars that are well on their way. Number one safety in the nation committing to the cats. I take it. I would accept it, (laughs) but I, both both of these guys prototypical what this staff is looking for, except I'd say that they're upgrades on what they would have gotten last year, two years ago, at this point in time. Uh, just exactly what they want, same mold, but just further along. Yeah. Yep. So those are the two people who would be joining the class of 2023. But now we have to talk about someone who will unfortunately be leaving the program. That is a linebacker that we got really excited about, Brandon Jennings, who spent about two months here, yep. said, uh, I'm going to the portal. And by all accounts, he just was not fitting here. Yeah. He just wasn't fitting in, wasn't picking up the scheme. Apparently injuries had been nagging him for a while. 
So that's kind of why he didn't pick up the scheme, and then he proceeded to say, alright, this is schmacked, I'm out of here. Which, like, I would like to see a player stick it out more, but I'm not going to wish ill on the kid. Yeah. Like, kid. I think he's the same age as me. But I'm not going to wish Ill, Ill will on the guy. Just didn't work out yeah. here. Hope he finds a good place. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, I, I was very excited about him and his potential. But um, one issue that kind of always came up was that he probably couldn't play alongside Daniel Green. It was something that was fun to think about. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of the same player. Yep. And he was definitely an inside linebacker prospect. His um, outside speed was always a bit of a concern, despite his incredible athleticism elsewhere. His incredible size and athleticism. Like 6'4", 230, one of the hardest hitters I've seen uh, come through K-State, uh, at least based on his highlight tapes. But... Yeah, just he wasn't quite able to figure it out next to Daniel Green, and we're not taking Daniel Green off the field nope. that much. Not enough to warrant having a guy as good as Brandon Jennings sitting on the sideline. Yeah. And especially if he wasn't picking up the scheme. I mean, I get it. Like, If, if he wasn't working here, then he should go seek to get on the field elsewhere. Like, And I'd rather we do this now rather than in the middle of the season and get left with no no shot at picking up a replacement in the portal because we're probably going to get another wave of portal entries here pretty soon with spring practices coming to an end and the deadline for uh, immediate eligibility coming up here in about two weeks yeah may 1st yep so it's we're both football and basketball by the way yeah so i i totally get it uh from brandon jennings uh, point of view so, you know, I, I have no issue with it. Uh, it's it's sad. I, I wish he would have stuck around mainly just because I was enamored with him as a prospect. Yeah. But like, it doesn't always work out, and he just ended up not being a great fit, and that's okay. Yep. Oh, so best of luck to him. But now we can move into Batcats Recap, where we will be shortly covering the previous series against Texas Tech in which we got swept 0 to 14 uh no wait 3 to 6 ow 0 to 14 owie and then a walk off home run in the ninth inning 6 to 7 off of Blake Adams yeah i don't want to talk about it yeah we found new and creative ways to lose all these games uh we took a 3-1 lead over tech in the first game and then immediately blew it in the bottom half of the inning and you know, it was, as I recall, just poor man, poor game management, really, because I believe that was where we had uh, Corsentino in, and he was kind of wheeling and dealing, and we took him out, put in Blake Adams, and kind of messed it up. Uh, a little bit overcoaching, um, but again, you know, only putting up three runs, you know, you're going to have to do better than that against number four Texas Tech. Um, but we did worse than that the next day, zero to fourteen. <laughs> There's not a lot to say about that other than we lost zero to fourteen. Yeah. Um, and then the last game, utterly painful walk off loss on, which frankly we deserved for our strategy of pitching to Jace Young with two runners on. Jace Young might be the best uh, power hitter in the Big Twelve, and that's a Big Twelve that includes Dylan Phillips. Yep. So 
why we're throwing multiple belt high fastballs. you know fastballs to the best home run hitter in the league maybe in the country evades me the logic evades me uh, leading 6-4 going into the inning and then putting two on and then pitching to Jace Jung doesn't make much sense to me but it doesn't make did. much sense to me either yeah but we did it so now we can talk about games that we actually enjoyed because this was a game in Toynton Family Stadium that like I said we just got back from yeah well for the sake of the argument we just got back from <laughs> And this was our second Big 12 victory, and it was in comeback fashion. Now, this was a game that we were quite pessimistic about, and I feel like most of the stadium was quite pessimistic about. But eventually, we put it together, put together a two-run six and a five-run seventh, and then blanked Texas for the rest of the game to win the game 8-5. Both sides having one error, the Cats having nine hits, eight runs, University of Texas having five runs on 10 hits. So it was a pretty well-attended game. You know, people were in the quote-unquote student section, which it used to be kind of people knew that it was the student section. Now it's just another section. Yep. Which I don't know why you would choose to sit there. If you, I, I don't know. Yeah. But in terms of scoring... University of Texas struck first in the second and fourth innings, respectively, with two RBIs on a single in the second inning. And then Arduan ended up homering to left field in the fourth to make the score 3-0 in favor of the Cats. But then Dylan Phillips had his first of a pair of home runs on in the day. Then after that, the Tech... The Houston... <laughs> Am I stupid? The Texas Longhorns ended up getting two home runs within the fifth inning. 4-1 and 5-1 was the score, respectively. And then finally, the 6th and 7th innings happened for the Cats, in which Dylan Phillips hit another home run, making the game 5-2. Then Cole Johnson getting a single up the middle and scoring Justin Mitchell on what was a play which had Connor and I both screaming, run, Justin, run, <laughs> because he is not fast. <laughs> he is among a world in which most catchers are slow. He might be the slowest. Mm, he he's very slow he's very slow then that ended up making the game five to three so we were back into it at that point and then the seventh inning happened in which jeff heinrich ended up homering to left field dylan phillips ended up reaching on a fielder's choice and then advanced to third and then dom johnson advanced to third on a throwing error and then nikoloff ended up scoring and then the play that broke the tie that was caused by that play was Nick Goodwin hitting an absolute moonshot to left center field to knock in the final three runs of the game, which caused the Cats to go ahead and win by the score of 8-5. to Yeah, this was a game that I, from the get-go, you know, after the first inning, it was fine, because I think we three up, three, three, up th three down. And then, yeah, we three up, three down them, and then we got a leadoff uh, single. And so I felt like we would end up doing well. And then they uh, scored quickly and uh, in the second inning. And then they uh, really like were hitting us well early on. But we ended up taking out um, the starter, uh, Griffin Hassel, after five and a third. He did make it quite a ways. Um, but he did get eight hits off of him, 
five earned runs. So every run scored was off of Hassel, the starter. And then six strikeouts to two walks. Then Tyson Neighbors came in for him. And we had a bit yeah. of apprehension. Ace and I were definitely worried about Tyson Neighbors coming in because he's been all over the place this year. But he he went one and two-thirds, two hits, two walks, one strikeout, although it felt like more than one strikeout because mm-hmm. he honestly pitched really well. And I I, I liked what he was doing. Uh, got forced to fly out and then a double play, I believe, as well. Maybe if I'm yes. remembering that correctly, I believe so. Yeah, but he uh, um, actually pitched quite well and is credited with the victory for Casey in this one. It's his first uh, career win, and you know, even though the stat line isn't particularly impressive, uh, watching him pitch, he did fairly well. It was other than the Arizona game, his most impressive outing of the season. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that's signs of bigger things to come for Tyson Neighbors, the true freshman. Herman Fajardo came in and uh, walked a batter and had two wild pitches. Uh, just went one-third of an inning after forcing a little pop-out. And we ended up pulling him. He he just wasn't able to figure it out. Uh, and then we brought in Connor McCullough to finish, the, uh, finish out the rest of the game. He went one and two-thirds and got two strikeouts, including I think he struck out the last two batters yes i think so yeah uh forced a couple of ground outs um and which was interesting that we brought him a he's projected to or he is listed as the starter on saturday and uh, uh he only did he only did go 14 pitches with four batters faced so he will probably be fine i'd imagine for yeah uh, for uh for saturday but he is credited with the save, his first on the season, since this isn't really a situation he normally pitches. But, you know, even though P. Hughes definitely has some over-management issues sometimes, uh, I will give him... Sometimes it works. Yes, I will give him credit for playing to win uh, this game. He saw the opportunity to take out the number seven ranked team in the country, and he went right for the throat and said, you know what? I'm just gonna put my son, my Saturday starter in. My and, son. Yeah. So my... I was gonna say Sunday starter. I know. His <laughs> <laughs> Saturday starter, uh, and to close out the game, and you know he he put in some good guys and gave us a good shot to win. But it wasn't just the pitching that was good down the stretch. And also, we handed Pete Hansen his first loss of the year. I did not realize that we did. Um, Pete Hansen of Texas. Uh, came into the game with a uh, 2.08 ERA, and after six and a third, he gave up six earned. So Most of that was in the last inning. <laughs> yeah, most of that was at the end. He went 107 pitches, and then their uh, um, reliever, Jared Southard, went the rest of the way, one and two-thirds. But the bats take, really came alive. I can take hitting if you want to take a break. Um, yeah, go for it. Okay. Josh Nikoloff is batting leadoff today. He ended up taking one for four with one run and a strikeout. Dom Johnson was in left field today. He ended up taking an 0 for three, but still walked and struck out once, therefore scoring a run. Dylan Phillips was probably your offensive MVP of the day, unless you're giving it for clutch hitting, which is the next hitter, in which he had two home runs with three total runs and two RBI on one strikeout. 
Nick Goodwin had exactly one hit today, but it was the most important one of the day. It was a three-run home run. Justin Mitchell ended up going two for four with two strikeouts. Cole Johnson went one for four with one with one RBI and two strikeouts. Kalen Culpepper unfortunately didn't have the greatest day, taking an 0 for 3 with a single walk with two runners left on base. Jeff Heinrich ended up taking 1 for 4 again with the one hit being a home run, but with two strikeouts. Cameron Uselton ended up going 1 for 3 with one strikeout when it was pinch ran for by Brendan Jones, who ended up walking. And that's it. Yep. But it was, uh, for Nick Goodwin, it was a frustrating day uh, for a while. Uh, because Texas scouted him really well, and they found out that his hitting ability against breaking balls is negative. Yeah, he, he can't do it. Yeah, and that's how most teams have been approaching him this year, but when teams give him fastballs, he's generally going to get a piece of it and do something with it. Uh, he just has really struggled with hitting breaking balls. Um, Goodwin, uh, of course, I mean, the clutch hit, uh, to, the clutch home run to put us up. I mean, it was perfect timing. It, may, it does help you forget the rest of the difficult game. He had a, a clean fielding day as well. I think he only had one or two. Uh, he had one opportunity. Yeah, it was only one opportunity, and it was a fairly routine grounder. Uh, everything else was either at third or second or made its way to the outfield uh, or was a strikeout. Uh, but Goodwin didn't have a ton of defensive opportunities, which is fine. He, just, he made the most of his one opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Phillips, again... Great day. I mean, any day you have multiple home runs. They mentioned on the broadcast that I, uh, I caught the highlight of it um, after we left the stadium when the game was done. Uh, Phillips, this was his ninth two-run home, homer game of his career, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that is a lot for a guy that I think now is pushing 40 career home runs. Mm-hmm. If he hasn't passed it already, he is right there. But... I mean, again, this this Batcats team is going to live and die by the home run, pretty much. I think we only had one run that wasn't produced by a homer. And that was the error. Was it? Yes. I, th- I thought that there was a uh, Cole Johnson single. Yeah, the Cole Johnson single with so Mitchell were, scoring. So there were two. So there were two. I, I forgot about I actually forgot about the error. So we each forgot about one. <laughs> <laughs> but... Now, this backhand's team generally to score runs, they're going to put it over the fence. And you know what? I'm not complaining about that. That's exciting baseball. Um, but, you know, it's just a little bit frustrating when the bats don't get going. But better late than never for the backhats. And even though they are still struggling this season, a win over the number seven ranked team in the country is nothing to sniff at. Yep, and to get back to 500. Yeah. And hopefully this can turn into momentum for the Cats to take the series over Texas. They still have two more games. Uh, again, still have two opportunities to take the series. One tomorrow, or the day this releases, I suppose, on uh, Friday, and then the following day, Saturday. No game Sunday this week because of Easter. So, And then this, this, they'll be out of the woods after this series in terms of the uh, top 10 ranked opponents. You know, Starting out a season with TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Texas all top 20. Brutal. All top 20. All top 20 opponents. Absolutely brutal start to conference play. Then I think they take a brief break, get UC Irvine, and then they'll return to the latter half of conference play. But I'm hoping that this can turn into something. 
uh, for the Backcats because this is a good team. It's a team worth following, even if it hurts sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, and sometimes I, it yeah. will hurt. Yes, and I think this is a team that by the end of the season will be playing their best baseball by far. I think this is going to take a very similar trajectory to last year's squad. I'm not sure if they're going to have the horses to make the NCAA tournament at this rate, but if they're able to take advantage of a bit of a lighter schedule down the stretch where they're not having to per- just perpetually face top 20 teams, yeah, then they might be able to make a little run there at the end. People won't, probably won't uh, believe that, but I mean, it, it's really been a meat grinder of a conference schedule thus far. But if they can, a series win over Texas would go a long way probably in the eyes of the committee. And again, it's way too early to be talking about that. But it's just something to keep an eye on down the road. Just you know, still living off the high of this very impressive <laughs> win uh, over a quality opponent with some really good bats. It's a wonder, or it, it's a credit to the pitching staff, the relievers especially, for having probably the best game of the season for the relief, uh, I would say, especially considering the opponent. Yeah, you know, n- Not a single earned run. Uh, from any of the relievers, including true freshman Tyson Neighbors. And then Fajardo was in, but only for one out. So uh, then McCullough, of course, gets the save. And he, he deserves a ton of credit for coming in and being the most cold-blooded killer of all time. is <laughs> uh, a lot of fun to watch pitch. He doesn't do anything particularly special with his pitching. He's just good. Yeah, that, that, It's, it's as simple good. as that. It's yeah. But yeah, the Cats on on uh, Friday, they'll have Blake Adams on the mound, and then McCullough will take the mound on Saturday. So, Yeah. That pretty much does it for this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow the show or contact us, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edward 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, the Doomtang Clan, and the Unalley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>